on to episode 14 of our Class Actions Poolside series, which is um, a summary brand of our Fireside series. So for new listeners, these sessions are designed to be an informal forum where we could have a discussion regarding class action developments in Australia and today also New Zealand, um, because it's it's a little bit contagious, class actions. It's becoming um, um, increasingly global since it was first um, introduced in the in the US. Now, in our last um, last week, in our last episode, um, our colleagues spoke about the recommendations falling from the parliamentary joint committee and their inquiry into litigation funding and the class actions industry. That report was handed down in December last year, coincidentally. In that same month, the Law Commission for New Zealand also sought public feedback on very similar questions actually regarding whether or not New Zealand should have a class action regime introduced and whether, you know, what, what it should do about the regulation, if, if any, of commercial litigation funding. So in this episode, we wanted to telegraph what might occur in New Zealand and how it would compare and contrast to what's happening here in Australia. So to discuss this, I'm joined by my colleagues, Ante Gollum. Um, he's calling in from an, a very early hour in Perth, but I can see he's looking very bright-eyed bright-eyed and bushy-tailed as usual. Um, also have with us Helen Mould from our Melbourne office and equally looking very bright-eyed. Um, and we've got a special guest speaker. So we've got Sophie East from Bell Gully. She's a partner there um, based in Auckland and she's a commercial litigator, very, very experienced and um, has acted as defence counsel in a number of class actions in New Zealand. So welcome, Sophie. So to kick things off, um, Helen, perhaps you can um, briefly explain the terms of reference um, that's been put forward by the Law Commission for New Zealand. Thanks, Christine. Um, so, so just to give a, a little background too and context to those terms of reference, um, the, the position presently in New Zealand is that there is scope to bring group litigation, but it's brought under its rules of court in the same way that um, here we have provisions in certain of our court rules which permit representative proceedings. Those provisions are not very detailed and they leave a lot up in the air about the way in which um, the, the uh, procedure is, is to work and how the claims should be managed and run uh, and what the different roles and responsibilities are of, of that various actors involved. So, we have had over the last 25 years legislation introduced in the federal level and in certain states which does set out procedural rules in a more detailed way um, and what we're looking at now with those terms of reference in New Zealand is, is the, the possibility that they might also introduce similar sort of legislation which will create a, a statutory regime for class actions. And the terms of reference um, are, are quite broad. They allow the, the Commission, um, the New Zealand Law Commission, to look at uh, um, some questions broadly about class actions, whether the law should be changed there to allow this sort of statutory regime, um, whether if it is changed, what sort of regulation there should be around class actions, but also a, a couple of questions about litigation funding, which as we know from our regime um, has grown up here hand in hand with the, the development of the class action regime. So there's a number of terms of reference in the, in the New Zealand um, Commission's terms of reference about 
um, whether litigation funding should be allowed and what the role of um, the courts should be in, in regulating um, or overseeing the way that litigation funding operates, um, particularly in the class action context. So this is the, the terms of reference, but there's now also quite a lengthy um, issues paper and there's a consultation process underway um, with submissions due uh, in the middle of March. Uh, and the, I think the commission has said that it's looking to finalise its recommendations um, and report uh, back uh, in the first half of next year. Um, Sophie, it'd be great to hear some perspectives about um, how the consultation is going and how are people engaging with uh, the um, consultation process that's underway. Yeah, um, thanks, Helen. Um, and I think that was a good summary. It really is, um, I guess, an opportunity in, in New Zealand to um, build a class actions regime from the a blank slate, almost from the from the ground up. Because, um, as you said, we really only have one one procedural rule and some case law. Um, so, you know, it's a very very wide ranging um, issues paper, some three hundred and sixty seven pages, um, with many questions um, for feedback. Um, I hear murmurings that there are um, a lot of litigation funders going to put submissions in um, and sort of one can imagine the kinds of um, things that they'll say. I um, imagine that most of them won't be in favour of too much regulation of litigation funding and, and won't be in favour of the um, proposal floated that there might be some sort of cap on funder recovery, um, the same sort of issue discussed by your um, Joint Parliamentary Committee in Australia. Um, I think um, plaintiff lawyers um, uh, there are uh, several sort of prominent plaintiff lawyers now in New Zealand in this space, and I imagine they'll be submitting, submitting um, along the lines that they're pretty comfortable with the fairly flexible uh, rule that we have at the moment. Uh, and uh, I don't imagine they'll be in favour of a more rigorous sort of class certification standard that um, is also floated in the issues paper. Um, I think from the perspective of defendant law firms um, like our own, um, uh, you know, while we uh, obviously think um, access to justice is a is a very worthy goal, um, you know, you have to also look at that in terms of real world results. And I think the um, Australian um, Parliamentary Joint Committee paper uh, has some really interesting discussion around some of the um, inequities that have arisen um, through a sort of light touch um, regime for litigation funding in Australia. Uh, so. Uh, I think there'll be a bit of a deep dive into some of that material from um, some of the uh, the bigger law firms that tend to be on the defendant side. So um, the deadline for submission is still upcoming, so we haven't sort of seen what those submissions look like. Um, uh, the 11th of March is when when those submissions need to be in by, but it'll be interesting to see the kind of um, perspectives that come to bear, but I imagine they're not too dissimilar from um, the sort of feedback that was been received in, through the uh, various reviews in Australia. Sophie, I was really interested um, to see one of the issues that was mentioned in the issues paper and the research papers that Helen mentioned that have been published by the New Zealand Commission was certification. It's one that we know very well over here in Australia. It's been the subject of many Law Reform Commission reports. It was featured, as, as you mentioned, in the parliamentary joint parliamentary report most recently. Um, perhaps for everyone's benefit who are joining us today, that certification issue is essentially a question of whether or not uh, when a class action is commenced, there ought to be an application brought to a court for a court to certify or approve 
the commencement uh, of a class action. And in Australia, perhaps um, out of step with other jurisdictions like U the US or Canada, we don't have that certification um, process. And um, that's been a very hotly debated topic over the years. If one looks back to those uh, Law Reform Commission reports, um, various people who've looked at this issue have formed the view that it's not necessarily something that ought to be introduced over here. Most recently, our parliamentary, uh, our joint parliamentary report also was unconvinced. And one of the reasons for that has been over here, we have a requirement um, in the various uh, statutory processes for minimum requirements to be met um, upon um, the commencement of a class action. So the view is, well, you've got this minimum threshold, so why need, do you need to introduce a certification requirement? Um, those who've often been pushing certification have made a really good argument to say, well, it really talks about um, the burden or emphasis that that brings upon a party. So certification um, causes the applicant or plaintiff to have, to have that burden to convince the court that um, the matters are satisfied and a class action should proceed, while our minimum requirements threshold essentially puts that back on the defendant, saying, well, if you don't think that those minimum requirements are met, you bring an application to have that matter tested before the court. So it's quite a different, um, if you like, onus there, depending on whether or not certification features. So um, I'd be really interested to hear about where you think that might go um, in New Zealand. I think over here we'll all be um, watching that particular issue with some interest as the, um, the New Zealand Commission sort of looks into this. Yeah, I think Ante, it'll be it'll be hotly debated. Uh, currently, we have um, the the procedural rule um, that Helen and I mentioned, four point two four, just allows uh, you to bring a representative, uh, get a representative order, um, where you have um, people that you're representing with the same interest in the subject matter of the proceeding. Um, there really just needs to be issues of law or fact which are common to all members, and it's a, become actually a pretty relaxed te te uh, test. You don't need to have um, to bring a class action um, as such um, under this rule. You don't need to have one a substantial common issue or common issues don't need to predominate over individual issues like they do in the United States. Um, so that's the sort of procedural hurdle. And um, the courts have um, been, uh, you know, bearing in mind the sort of access to justice role, have been really re uh, pretty relaxed in allowing, um, allowing parties to bring representative proceedings or class actions under that rule. Uh, and so I think there'll be um, obviously a sector of the um, community that think that that's good, um, uh, but uh, others who feel, you know, as you mentioned, um, you know, acting for defendants, that um, you're often on the side of raising the object objections rather than the plaintiff having to go through the hurdles and uh, convincing the court that indeed uh, it ought to properly be brought in this way. Um, so. Class certification is on the table for consideration by the Law Commission. Um, you know, some of the things that um, that might be part of that regime um, might be, uh, you know, a requirement uh, for a commonality test, perhaps a slightly higher bar than we have at the moment. Maybe that um, requiring um, proof of uh, common issues predominating, um, possibly a merits assessment, um, not necessarily a, a detailed merits assessment, but the representative plaintiff in a class action at least um, showing that they have an arguable case, um, producing some kind of litigation plan. If there is a litigation funder involved, um, the court taking a hard look at the litigation funding agreement um, and making sure that it meets some you know, minimum thresholds um, about independence and 
conflicts of interest and that type of thing. So these are the many considerations that might be built into class certification. And I think, um, you know, there's some interesting things to think about there. Um, and I imagine, I think, the the way things will go, there, there probably will be some of these things built in, but it's just a bit hard to, <laughs> uh, this early stage, to work out um, quite where we'll end up, quite on the, whether it's the sort of US <laughs> end of the spectrum in terms of class cert or, or where you are in Australia. Well, we'll definitely, I think, from our end, follow with interest. It's one of the many topics in these terms of reference that um, are going to be of great interest to all of us over here uh, in Australia. But, Christine, I think there's probably a number of others as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you mentioned legation funding, Sophie. So the legation funding story, story in Australia is quite fascinating. So we're commonly um, thought of as the birthplace of third-party litigation funding, not something that we're super proud of, I have to say, as a defence counsel, but, um, you know, for a good 15 years of our um, class actions jurisprudence, um, litigation funding has largely been unregulated. That was seen as a good thing and, you know, leave it to market forces to um, regulate that particular industry. Um, and only in the last year where we've introduced um, regulation of these of funders um, uh, and that that regulation is also quite interesting because it, it turned off an existing exemption so the short of it is that uh, litigation funders um, or at least those who fund class actions need to have an AFSL license and need to comply with the managed investment scheme um, requirements under our Corporations Act. So that's a very complex statutory regime that sits awkwardly with our class action regime. So some of the things that came out of our parliamentary joint um, committee report uh, was a recommendation that those regulations be um, tweaked so that's fit for purpose and sits nicely with our class action regime. Not quite sure what that's going to look like, but um, I think that's a, an area for further debate. Uh, as well as, um, and you, you mentioned, uh, Sophie, this, this idea of a cap. So um, it's expressed in the positive. So it says minimum statutory return to group members. But the converse of that is it's effectively a cap on, on the funding commission um, or the returns to funders. Um, so I'm not quite sure where that's going to go. That's going to be hotly debated in our industry, I think, for the next, I think, within the next 12 months for sure. Um, but I'm interested in your thoughts on where it might, where it might land in New Zealand. Yeah, again, um, very much on the table in the Law Commission issues paper, um, and um, I expect it, it may end up with um, slightly more regulation um, than there is at the moment. Uh, there's nothing at the moment. Um, at the moment, the um, Supreme Court has in fact said it's not its role to assess, for example, the fairness of funding agreements. Um, but that said, the court has played a reasonably active role in um, using its inherent jurisdiction to, for example, um, stay class action proceeding when it's um, believed there's been an abusive pro process and that's is a recent example of that um, not a class action but um, stayed a proceeding where um, the court determined that the um, there was an assignment of a bare cause of action so that meant that the basically the funder um, could um, pursue litigation against the wishes of the representative plaintiff and the court said that was unfair and stayed the proceeding so there is um, some court supervision um, of funder behaviour and funding agreements um, uh, and indeed, security for costs um, against litigation funders is ordered as of right. Um, but it's really at the moment up to defendants to raise objections rather than any uh, sort of formal approval like, you know, minimum contract standards, as, which are scrutinised as part of a class certification process or anything like that. Uh, so, um, you know, these are issues that the Law 
Commission is considering, and there'll be um, quite disparate views on, um, I imagine. Thanks, Sophie. Sophie, one, uh, sorry, um, one other issue, Sophie, that's really been quite a controversial one um, and it has attracted a lot of focus here. It'd be interesting to know um, what the Commission might be um, considering about this is settlement approval, of course. So um, really that is one of the, the key um, aspects of the way that the court exercises its role here to um, look out for the um, issues around the interests of the group members in a, in a settlement and, and considering whether outcomes are, are reasonable and, and fair and in the interests of the, of the class as a whole. Um, that is, is partly um, a function of, of what's in the legislation, but really those tests have, have grown up through the, the case law and the practice notes um, of the different courts. Be interesting to know what the Commission has indicated um, it might consider about, I guess, for, firstly, whether um, the court should have a role in approving settlements, um, but then also uh, what kinds of, of tests it might apply or things it might look to um, factor in when, when looking at approval. Yeah, well, uh, again, the, um, the, the current position here is that there's no uh, rules or regulations around this. It's not a requirement um, as it is um, in Australia. Um, that said, the Supreme Court has um, observed in a, a recent um, case, uh, which I'll come on to talk about later, that um, it does have the power to approve settlements um, and to protect the interests of individual class members in doing so. And indeed, um, early on in a proceeding, if it grants um, if it grants an opt-out class order, so in order that um, uh, the class is binding on everybody unless they opt out, um, that it should make a condition of that, that it approves any settlement agreement, um, just again to um, keep an eye on the interests of um, potential class members who, um, you know, may have nothing to do at all with the litigation um, uh, and so need um, that court protection. Uh, so uh, that's sort of all up in the air at the moment as to how exactly that's going to work in New Zealand. So there's discussion of that um, in the Law Commission um, paper. I imagine that if we um, do move to a more regulated regime, which um, the writing sort of seems to be on the wall with the, um, they present the issues, the Law Commission, in a very neutral way, but I think the writing's probably on the wall that we are moving to more regulation. You know, I think we can expect to see um, something about uh, the court's role in terms of approving settlement agreements, particularly around um, you know, opt-out class actions um, if, uh, in particular. Thanks so much, Sophie. I think um, uh, we've got limited time, so we could talk about this a nauseam, I'm sure, um, given that we're so passionate about the class actions uh, regime in, in Australia and New Zealand. I'm going to have to invite you again uh, to, to another episode in the future just to, to provide a further update. But um, um, thank you so much. That was really, really interesting. And I think it's going to be incredibly busy 12 to 18 months in both jurisdictions. Um, a lot of things happening and, and um, we're debating the same issues. So it'd be good to stay in touch and we'll keep an eye um, across the Tasman to see what's happening at, at your end as well. Absolutely. Thank Thanks you for having me.